Hello and welcome to another episode of The Brave Room. On behalf of The Brave Room, my bad. It's like a teensy little bit late episode, you know. I feel like if we keep doing late episodes, eventually we'll hit the point where we're just gonna get a double event. You're gonna get two, two podcasts, one after the other, like Pacific Rim. <laughs> but presumably, less cataclysmic. <laughs> I think this podcast could destroy Hong Kong. <laughs> I think this podcast has the potential to destroy Hong Kong. Listen, it'd be really tragic if this podcast destroyed Hong Kong. But on the plus side, you know, we make sure we get the nice shot of the Chinese robot in and we get bang. <laughs> that's, that's a lot of things. I've always found that the weirdest thing about movies. Have you? Like, I don't know if movies still do it because I haven't gone out to see a mainstream movie in forever. But there was a point in time where every movie needed that china money and uh-huh. so that's why the closing act of so many movies was a big battle in china uh-huh transformers 3 no not transformers 3 transformed 4 literally just takes place in china <laughs> and then you had that issue with uh, like pacific rim yeah that was the other one like have did you see the trailers for pacific rim in china i did not I swear, you would think that movie was about Crimson Typhoon. <laughs> it was Crimson Typhoon's front and center of the whole the whole poster, and then maybe the other three acres would be in the corner somewhere. I mean, to be fair, Crimson Typhoon's really damn cool. Yeah, for all 20 seconds it's in the movie. <laughs> Half of Crimson Typhoon's screen time in that movie is Crimson Typhoon in the background, and a bunch of people pointing, that's gonna do something cool later. <laughs> I do have, I have a figure of Crimson Typhoon. I bought the NECA Pacific Rim figures. I have a bunch of them. I have Gypsy Danger, Striker Eureka, Crimson Typhoon, and Cherno Alpha, yeah. And Knifehead, and the Gorilla thing. Can Leatherback. <laughs> I liked Pacific Rim. I think it was a good movie. Yeah, and I meant to watch the anime and all the nah, sequels. No, you don't. No, you don't. You don't. Yeah. yeah. Rule number one of enjoying Pacific Rim is you don't engage in any of the side content. Except maybe the PS3 fighting game that came out. There was one? There was one and it was great. It had free DLC. (laughs) I think it had free DLC, I can't remember. It was shit though. It was an arena fighter and it was really slow because they wanted, you know. But the in-fight intros were some of the best because like the in-fight intro, if you played, if you picked a Jaeger, was the Jaeger being flown in. So you had like Cherno Alpha, you know, with the four helicopters lifting it up and dropping it down. It was sick. I don't understand any of the mechanics because there was a whole thing where like if you took too much damage, your pilot's sink would be broken and then you couldn't... I don't know, but Cherno Alpha had a finisher where he picks up a kaiju and then fires the flamethrowers on it. It's great. (laughs) Now I need to go to YouTube and get all those damn videos. I think I still have the demo installed on my PS3. I I had a bunch (laughs) of game demos installed on my PS3. It's great. That's great. I, I miss that genre of shitty movie tie-in games. <laughs> the Pacific Rim, not the Pacific Rim, uh, the real steel fighting game, that was pretty okay as well. That was, uh, like, I don't know how you're meant to play that game, but what's his Midas, the gold one with the mohawk? He's got a really good attack that does a lot of part damage. You can just break your enemy's leg and then they have to spend point every, every round, they have to they get a little bit of budget to repair their robot. So you can make it too expensive to repair that robot. It's ah. great. Can't play as Hugh Jackman though. Can't, can't, <laughs> can't be Hugh Jackman in that game. Shame. Man, that's, 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 that's how we start this podcast. <laughs>
well, one more note before we get too far off from this. That I legitimately wish Real Steel did better than it got. It was a good movie. And on and on the China note, uh, you also get going the other way sometimes. The Ancient One in Doctor Strange was mysteriously made not Tibetan for no reason at all. <laughs> yep. Let's not make an important character Tibetan and replace them with Tilda Swinton. <laughs> who is the one person whose nationality China would never question. We're like, yep, that's, that's Tilda Swinton. What was she even in? I don't remember. I don't watch movies myself. I Like the last time I really went out to watch a, enjoy a movie was in fact Pacific Rim. <laughs> Oh, that's old. Oh, I'm excited. So, Sonic comes out this month. Not next month, really. So, Sonic was the last movie I watched before the lockdown. And will be the first movie I watch post-lockdown. I'm excited. I. It's come full circle. It's coming full circle. Anyways, that is... Funny enough, that is not the topic for this, this month's episode of The Brave Room. But, you know, sometimes you just gotta take life like that. I... <laughs> I think we've, we've been we've been a bit too rigid with the schedules. Sometimes you just gotta say, "Hey, Pacific Rim was great, and remember when the entire movie industry buckled to China, <laughs> and then question Tilda Swinton's nationality." I, listen, someone's gotta do it. Where we volunteer to ask the hard-hitting questions, to put Tilda Swinton in to make China happy, Disney. That's what I want to know. But we did have a big month, didn't we? Yeah. It's already coming to an end wonderfully, I suppose, and new patches, etc. Et oh yeah, yeah. So okay, so there are no new stories to cover. We, we are not going to look at any new stories in particular because, good lord, every single game publisher had to finish their homework. Deadline was Q1, end of Q1, right? So they they rushed it. <laughs> every game out the door, and. You know, pour one out for every games media person who had to rush multiple hundred-hour experiences. <sighs> Shout out to LX2 for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to LX2 for being a terrible, terrible game that I really wanted to like. I won't go into too much detail for it, you know, because I, I want to put as much effort into this game as the developers put into polishing it. Uh, <laughs> not into making it, they clearly worked very hard on that game. That, that game could use like, I don't know, three cans of shoe polish. That game has a Fallout New Vegas e-dialogue system, which is great. I think more games need that. Mm -hmm. It is, if your game has branding options, the most important thing you need to do is have the game acknowledge when you choose a branch. Like the one, one of the encampments you can go to, mm -hmm. a bunch of NPCs you can talk to to do quests. So there's a dude who's like, hey, a bunch of people are hanging up weird posters. Can you help me help me go look for the posters? And then there's also the main story quest, which is you want the leader of that encampment to like you. Mm -hmm. So you have to talk to this advisor and the advisor will give you a bunch of quests to do. And one of those quests is he'll say, hey, I need you to go talk to this guy. He's got a job for you. And if you've already talked to him, you'll be like, oh yeah, he wants me to look for the posters, right? And the guy will be like, oh cool, you've already talked to him, thanks. And those are nice features to have. Too bad rest of the game's ass. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I, I tried my level best with you, Alex, but no. So yeah, you know, shout out to Alex too for no no reason whatsoever. 
We talked about this last month. I've been playing more of the Elden Ring. Uh-huh. And I put out a poll asking because after all, new releases, right? So what were you playing? I only know Elden Ring. <laughs> Listen, it's very hard to justify playing any other game. That game is good. And if the fact that it's the most mainstream Souls game I have ever seen is both heartwarming and disappointing at the same time. Because did you see those people complaining about messages in Elden Ring? Oh no, I but I did see complaints about the other mechanics, uh, but go ahead with the messages first. Okay, so every Souls game has has had because the spirit of the Souls games is that they wanna go back to that old school type of gaming where you know some kid comes to school and says, Hey, did you know that if you if you go to this area and you you do uh you do the jump gesture, then a you know, the Moonlight Great Sword will appear or something <laughs> like that. And so they've baked that feature into the game where you can leave a message anywhere on the floor and it will show up in another player's game. But here's the catch, you can't write the message. Instead, they give you templates and pre-written words. Because mm -hmm. otherwise, you know, what's going to stop someone from writing a slur? <laughs> and then this has existed every Souls game. Demon Souls onwards, every game has had this. And so naturally, as you would when you have a community doing the same thing, well, we've developed, you know, developed a little bit of its own language, and you know, certain messages get have somehow proper like outlived the game they came from, <laughs> and as a result, Elden Ring may or may not be full of messages that just say tongue butthole. <laughs> It's great because you can you can have one of the templates is blank connector blank. So and you can put so you can put like and but or so tongue but <laughs> so people are complaining but these are unhelpful and I'm like so <laughs> they don't have to be helpful. Dark Souls 1 literally tells you that they don't have to be helpful. Like when you unlock the messaging feature in Dark Souls 1, it says, hey, yeah, just tell people how you feel. Mm -hmm. It's it's only by the grace of God that people were using it to be helpful with stuff like, you know, <laughs> check right, illusory wall ahead. Oh my God, illusory walls. You know what illusory walls are? Uh-huh. Okay, so illusory walls in every Souls game, they are walls. So you, you look at that, there's a wall over there, right? Uh-huh. But what if that wasn't a wall? What if you attack the wall and then it disappeared and then there was a hallway behind it leading to an area with an item. Uh-huh. So they have been, again, they have been in every Souls game. I don't, I don't remember if they were in Bloodborne or not. I don't, I don't remember. So naturally, because Souls players are honest, upright people, <laughs> sometimes, you know, they'll put, they'll put a message that says illusory wall ahead, but there's no illusory wall. It's just a regular wall. Yeah, I've seen my friend come out to at least two messages Hang just on the wall and then just a couple of more times to be sure. Okay, yeah, yeah. So this the saga of the illusory wall is even better. Okay? okay, so at first you think like how well how many illusory walls could there be? Dark, in Dark Souls 2, after the Ruin Sentinels, you enter this room is I think it's like two stories high. So there's a total of eight walls basically. Four of them are illusory walls. <laughs> <laughs> At that point, this is my personal story, all trust was gone. <laughs> Every wall is suspect. And then in Elden Ring, for no one during the beta, no one found any illusory walls. They're like, oh, I think they finally got rid of them. But strangely enough, illusory wall is still a word in the messaging system. So people were like, 
oh no, <laughs> surely there must be an illusory wall in here. And, and sure enough, after you beat Godric, the next area you go to, there is an illusory wall. Okay, there's illusory walls in this game. Fine. And you know, that's same thing. People keep leaving messages and you know, we, we have to keep checking. Mm-hmm. Except it gets worse than that. Well, I should point out also, uh, two major areas in Dark Souls 3, like the only two branching paths in Dark Souls 3, are hidden behind an illusory wall. <sighs> and then there is a part in Elden Ring with an illusory floor. Ah. <laughs> you have to jump attack the floor and then it disappears from under you. And then, you know, so then the debate went on like, you know, we should do something about all the fake illusory wall messages, blah blah blah. There's no, you just swing it once and then if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, right? Whatever, you go on with your life, don't, don't, don't cry about it. And then, I think this was last week or two weeks ago, the new story came out. Illusory walls were discovered in Elden Ring that require you to hit them 50 times before they break. Oh, oh yeah, I, I believe I saw that. Then, I think there was an add-on that said, now I can't be sure which one triggers No trust! We don't trust anything. <laughs> to be fair, there was an explanation like hypothesized by, by some people, which was that basically it's what happens when it was originally an illusory wall. Okay, so for those of you who don't know this, Souls games are held together by ducking. A lot of stuff is changed at the last possible second. So I imagine like rather than like whatever procedure they use to differentiate between an actual wall and an illusory wall, it was too much work to replace that. So instead they just gave the illusory wall a health bar. <laughs> but the trust is that's the that's the other thing though. Souls players do not care if a mechanic is intended or not. It is once it's in the game, it's fair game. And now now every wall is no wall is safe. <laughs> No, that, that, there's no illusory wall there. I hit it already. Well, did you hit it 49 more times, just to be sure? Like I mentioned earlier, when you see my friend saw those illusory wall messages, I saw her hit the wall at least three to four times before she moved on. Yeah, this is, and like, this is just part of the soul's identity at this point. Like, I think, I'm sorry if you think the messaging system is bad. First of all, I reached an area in Elden Ring where there is a railing that is broken. Mm-hmm. That's a universal sign that you should probably jump off of it, but there's nothing under it. Just pure abyss. However, if you jump off of it, it's an invisible floor. Oh. But not the entire thing. It is a pathway. You have to figure out where that pathway is. You know what helped me figure it out? All those messages on the floor. Yep, people will leave in messages. Checkmate, atheist. <laughs> I don't care what the message said, but those, the fact that you know the messaging system is the way it is makes that game so good because it was uh, it was a corner. How how the hell were you? Not even an obvious corner, by the way. Like I don't know how you're supposed to know that, that there was a corner there if you weren't uh, <laughs> on anything. That game's like every. It feels like every week there's another new thing people are, people are finding out. And then in the new update, they literally was like, hey, we. We didn't actually finish a bunch of the NPC quests, so this new update just, <laughs> just adds more stuff. And also, hey, here's where you can find some of them. Hooray! Oh yeah, and then they added the NPC tracker, which is really, really good. That still does not uh, record what the last thing they said to you was, though, which is annoying. <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, Elden Ring is amazing. Like, so, like even the combat, combat stuff aside, like I really like how they handle NPC quests now. Which is, you know, you have the, the through line for the NPC quest. Mm-hmm. But there will also be side NPCs you can talk to and side things you can do that don't affect the quest but will give it more flavor. 
So I'm uh, just gonna go slightly into spoilers already, which is a quest everyone cares about, the Blue Witch, uh, Rani. Rani and Blythe. Blythe, so partway through the quest, EG will tell you, Blythe is the dude who basically, he's basically guts. He's literally just guts. Blythe, EG will tell you, I've sent Blythe away on a mission. Please proceed the next phase of the quest without him. And you can do that. And you will complete the quest with whatever, you'll, you'll get the end of the quest, no problem. However, the first time you meet Blythe, he takes you to one of the Ever Jails in the game. The Ever Jails are like these bosses who are thrown into prison. And you go you go in just to kill the boss and you come back out. If for whatever reason, maybe you decided to go visit that, you know, reminisce about your time with the Ikemen Wolf. You go there, you'll hear Blythe's voice and he'll be like, What the hell? EG threw me in jail. He locked me in the in the Ever Jail. And when you hit to the end of Rani's quest, like if you're like me and you miss this, I completely missed finding life. You can, you can let him out in jail, but you, if you miss it, you will still have to fight live at the end at the end of Rani's quest. And if you do, and you can tell EG about it, EG will go, wait, what? But he's in jail. How did he get out? And that is the coolest thing ever. And you you constantly have these branches where you can talk to other characters about all sorts of all sorts of stuff, and they'll explain stuff like. So okay, like I said, I said spoilers, so we'll, we'll go spoil. So there's this thing event in Elden Ring called the Night of the Black Knights. It is when the demigods started killing each other because they, they all wanted they all wanted to be king essentially. And so the first of the the demigods to die was Godwin. Yeah, Godwin. Yeah, the, the name's all super simple. So he was the rune of death was stolen, and then it was used to kill him. And who did it other than Rani? Uh -huh. And you wouldn't know this doing Rani's quest. She just tells you, "Hey, can you go pick up something for me?" And it's a mysterious black knight. And there's another character, completely unrelated to her quest, that you can talk to about it. And he'll be like, "Yo, Rani killed Godwin." <laughs> Like, yeah, no, she was behind it all. Like, this knife proves it. And then, if you haven't been doing Rani's quest, because you can get this item without doing her quest, if you just pick up the item and go to her for the first time, she will be... You can show it to her and be like... And having talked to Rogier, she can go, Yeah, I... I kill... Like, yeah, I kill... I kill Garwin. What of it? <laughs> so it's... Like, you just constantly have a lot of this really, really cool stuff that you can do and it's all intertwined and there's a lot of them like it's the same thing with another character whose name is Fia and her quest triggers if you find the secret under Stormgill castle which is this giant gross fish face thing just hanging out under the castle for no reason and again you can talk to a, to a character I think it's the same character actually Roger who'll be like who can explain to you like oh yeah no something shady is going on <laughs> so yeah I really like how this quest system works because a lot of it is just flavor. Like you do most of Fia's quests only talking to her and Vampire Hunter D. But you can talk to other characters and they will they'll acknowledge the quest is going on. They'll be like, oh yeah, this thing's happening. I think that's a that's a really, really cool thing. Uh... <laughs> For me, my interest in Elden Ring was mostly really mechanical because I saw that yeah, there's like a whole bunch of classes there. Oh my god, look, they made magic a bit cooler to use. And oh, then yeah, you yeah. and then you have spirit summons that Yeah, sure, why don't I try Elden Ring sometime after when I'm not broke and all that jazz? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely recommend it. Spirit summons are practically necessary. Like boss difficulty seems to be balanced around the idea of well you're going to summon enemies. 
So the the two mo- the most popular salmon right now is the mimic here mm-hmm. because it literally just becomes you, and they nerfed it. But here's the thing: they nerfed its damage, but no one was using the mimic here for damage. The thing about having a second you is that applying status conditions becomes real easy. <laughs> And the most broken status conditions in the game right now are Scarlet Rot, which is toxic. So it does damage over time and more damage over the longer it, it, it goes on. And Bleed, which gives you just a big payoff. And to a lesser extent, Frost is also considered really good. It's a weaker Bleed because it does a burst damage and then the opponent also takes more damage when Frost procs. But it's harder to apply on the second and third times compared to Bleed. So yeah, just just summon your <laughs> summon your mimic and watch as because here's the thing right they don't have limited consumables they don't have limited mana what the hell are you talking about they're fine that's great so the funny thing is they are all, the mimic is also a boss fight it's two boss fights in the game that I found so far uh-huh. and it is really funny when you have to fight yourself <laughs> because you suddenly realize how scummy your playstyle is <laughs> I went into a dungeon and fought the Mimic tier and I was like, haha, you know, oh cool, I'll get, I get to fight myself. First thing the Mimic did was chuck a sleep grenade at me. <laughs> and I was like, oh no. Oh dear. Then I tried backing off a bit and then he fired Scarlet Rot Breath at me. <laughs> and then he hit me with my weapon which does bleed procs. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, this, this is how we're gonna do this. <laughs> Start taking notes, everybody. I love, I love people leave a lot of messages in front of the mimic boss fights. Always says like weak for a hit, therefore try self reflection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah, Elden is great. I do have to say though, it's a little bit too loyal to Dark Souls One because the second half of that game's bosses are not great. Like they are good, but they are not. And a lot of it comes down to the fact that Elden Ring has a repeat boss problem. A oh, lot yeah. of a lot of reskins, a lot of just straight up the same boss over and over again. And, and, s- uh, and I've seen that sometimes they're just now regular enemies running um, around. I mean, Souls games do that all the time. They're just it's meant to reflect like how much stronger you've gotten. Is that this is now a normal enemy? I mean, hell, the regular soldier is the tutorial boss. But no, so the you know one of them I really hate them. Uh, the God skins. I hate the Godskins. <laughs> hate them so much. So, in Dark Souls 1, there's this boss called Ornstein and Small. It is largely considered one of the best Dark Souls fights ever. It's certainly the most iconic because they keep getting referenced everywhere. <laughs> I mean, what's what's his name? Theseus and the Minotaur and Hades? Yeah, I've seen the name Hornstein and Small <laughs> used to describe them. That should tell you like how much how much people love them. And Ornstein has like he's one of the only Dark Souls characters to have like a figure, like one of those like really expensive figures made of him, without being like a huge story boss. It's like you know, Soul of Cinder and Artorias and all that. But yeah, so uh, Ornstein Small, they they are a really cool double boss fight. You fight them both at the same time. They have their own health bars, and what makes them so cool is depending on who you kill first, that changes the boss fight. Because you don't actually kill them, you make them weak, and then the other boss will eat their soul and gain their power. And on top of that. It really matters who you kill first because after you kill them, only one of them's armors will be available at the shop. <laughs> and it is whoever you killed first. And 
I remember because I really wanted Ornstein to come a set, but he is so hard to kill for us <laughs> compared to Small who just stands there and takes it. Like I tried to kill Ornstein first and Small caught all this and died first anyways. <laughs> but yeah, so it's a really cool thing. Like the phase two change is like, oh well now you have to fight Ornstein but with some small attacks. Or now you have to fight small but with Ornstein attacks. The Godskin duo boss fight does not do this. They have a single health bar, which is an, actually an aggregate of their individual health bars. And when one of them dies, they just bring another one back. So you actually fight four of them. It is infuriating and boring. Like there's the most boring phase too is, well, do it again. I mean, Dark Souls 3 had the same, had a similar fight called the Twin Demon Princes. And same thing, it was uh, whichever Demon Prince you kill first, the phase two Demon Prince will have a different attack. And people were recommending kill the left one first because the his attack can be dodged while the other one has to be blocked. So yeah, screw the, the Godskin one. <laughs> and you fight them so many times. I uh, guess it's Godskin Quartet now. <laughs> yeah, they're, technically they're the Godskin Quartet. And even then, like there was another dungeon that I quit where the boss fight was another Godskin duo. I, so yeah, and so many of the fire of the late game bosses, like they are all just kind of eh. like a lot of them if they're not duplicate bosses they're just they're weirdly difficult so um there's millennia blade of blade of nicola <laughs> who is an amazing boss fight but goodness is that annoying uh she has lifesteal on every hit which means you gotta be doing fast damage and there is no greater insult than getting three big meaty hits on her and then her comboing her health back to full and then killing you. So when you die, you look at her health bar and it's full. <laughs> you didn't even need to bother. Uh, there's Moog the Blood Omen, who in his phase 2, he is an MMO raid boss <laughs> where he has an attack that you can't dodge. It just does damage to you and you have to... You better pray that you've been avoiding his damage otherwise well enough because you need to heal in between every swing of that attack to keep yourself topped up to survive. Also, that, that's not pro Elden Ring, level your health. <laughs> no, it's legit. Like, I am using, I am at like 43 vigor right now. The minimum recommended health is 40. Like, uh, my, my friend who played the other Souls games, Sometimes I joke about how, because since I'm used to watching speedruns of this, so I used to joke how her health bar looks so long, but now <laughs> in this game it's like, yeah, yeah, you bet. You really, really do. And uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of really cool stuff in the game. I also do think that um, a big problem with the, with the repeat bosses is that it makes the original boss feel kind of lame knowing that you're gonna do it again. Like, my favorite boss in the game is uh, Astel, Natural Born of the Void. He is a Bloodborne boss. He is this big cosmic horror millipede thing, and his, he's got like a, a scorpion tail. He's a, he's a mayfly, my friend described him as being a mayfly. I know because it's like it's, the joints are all like circular shape, and they're all different colors, so it looks like a planet. It looks like a solar system. It's really, really cool and creepy. And his face is like a skull with giant centipede, like uh, what they call things coming out of them. And then the skull is cracked, and inside the hole is a giant eyeball. It is really cool, and the boss fight itself is hella cool. And then you fight him again, just in another dungeon. And I'm just like, ah, 
you already got your pop off. I don't care anymore, Estelle. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then a lot of the boss fights are also just like, okay, but we took two of them now. So that that is the and it reminds me of Dark Souls One. Dark Souls One has that same problem, where after Ornstein and Smo, the game just does a nosedive <laughs> into some of the worst boss fights you've ever seen. Gravelord Nito is not fun. Better Chaos is so bad that Miyazaki apologized. <laughs> <laughs> And Dark Souls Remastered fixed. They didn't make it good. They made it less shit. <laughs> and so yeah, so Dark Souls One has has that big problem. It's kind of sad to see Elden Ring fall into that same problem as well. Because again, Souls games are made down to the wire. Like they are literally working on those games. That's why uh, Demon Souls is missing its last area. There were supposed to be six zones. And uh, they call art stones, so there's supposed to be six art stones, and they couldn't fit the six one into the game on time, and they were just like cut it. But the asset for the six art stone is still in the game, so it's just broken, and they never say why. Just, yeah, that's don't worry about it. Six, six art stone. <laughs> you only need to do five of the art stones. So don't don't ask about the six art stones. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm having fun with all the it's, it's so good. Exploring that world is just so much fun. I will literally just go down a random road and find a dungeon and a boss. <laughs> it it is funny though. I think I mentioned this last episode as well. I can't remember. People seeing the mainstream people react to Elden Ring because I see people still referring to their starting class, and you don't care about that. <laughs> so it's like, fellow astrologers, what's a good way on how to kill this boss? <laughs> it's like. You know what the good way to do is spec into strength, carry <laughs> carry a big sword with you. Because magic builds in this game, they added melee weapons that scale with your magic stat. So now all magic builds can also be melee builds. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's that's the me gushing about Elden Ring portion of this of this episode. It's just an amazing game. I'll get to it eventually. I hope. Yeah, that, definitely. Like, I think it is going to be like Bloodborne. Where it has its own fandom outside of the Souls fandom. So Bloodborne fans are notorious for it. <laughs> Cannot stop talking. No Bloodborne fan. Your Bloodborne fans are not allowed to praise other games without also mentioning that Bloodborne is very good. <laughs> I heard Hatoful Boyfriend's really good. Yeah, you know, it's it kind of reminds me of Bloodborne where it's got it goes really dark and gothic at the end. You know, Bloodborne's really cool because it has. It's, did you know it's a HP Lovecraft story? <laughs> so yeah, no, that's that, that's all. Listen, guys, I know I know Rani the Witch is is you know waifu and stuff, but game has other endings. The loathsome dung eater, right? <laughs> I love that he's not only an NPC in the game; he's an ending. You can side with him as one of the game's endings, and it's a screw the universe ending. It's great. Uh, but yeah, no. They FromSoft knew what they were doing with the Blue Witch, by the way, because not only is she white blue bait, you know, uh, you also have to do her quest to hang out with guts. Also, you have to do her quest to get the Moonlight Greatsword. Ah. So it's just like she was designed to be the fan favorite, and her ending, her ending is considered one of the best endings in the game, uh, because because yeah, because she she takes over the world. <laughs> And hey, you can be there with me. Oh yeah, you marry her. You literally marry her. Uh, and one, one last thing on Elden Ring before we get off. Have you seen the opening the opening cutscene for Elden Ring? I've managed to avoid most things Elden Ring actually. That's an amazing, it's an amazing skill. Yeah, so the, the opening 
for Elden Ring, you usually for the openings for Souls games will introduce the bosses, but Elden Ring does not do that. Instead, they introduce the other Tarnished, which are the key NPCs in the game, who are all with you on this quest to, to save the Elden Ring. And the voiceover is so good. He's this dude, random dude, introducing all the all the NPCs. That my friend and I have a rule that you can't just say their names. You have to say it like the the, the narrator says. <laughs> Sir Gideon Ofne, the all-knowing. It's, it's so good. That's why the loathsome dung eater thing came from. Right? He's the last one in there. The loathsome <laughs> dung eater. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's it for Elden Ring. Good game. Highly recommend it. I will probably still be talking about it next episode. <laughs> Cause yeah, my friend found a way that you can start a new character and get to get a somber smithstone weapon to plus nine. In like a matter of hours and that's while chilling like he wasn't speed running it this was while we're just like talking smack about guilty gear or whatever <laughs> so yeah you played a bunch of mmos yes how how was that well but i say a bunch you, you played guild wars okay look back in the day tf we, there were so many of these three mmos so it's not like guild wars 2 was my first one but yeah, basically, I went back to Guild Wars 2 after I upgraded my PC. And dear god, I could see Maguma in more than 20 FPS and in higher quality. Hallelujah! And rushed, or, or rather, enjoyed the story and finished the expansion in like 17 hours or so. Just taking my time, soaking it all in. And also to whoever you said, oh, you don't know how MMOs work. I've almost put in 2,000 hours into my main. You sit down. Okay, wait, wait, okay. You, we, we need to give some context on this. So you may have seen Kit's article recently where we talked about how terrible the new player experience for Genshin is. Which it is. It is an objective fact that that is a terrible... I pulled Yae the other day and I can't use her. It is a terrible new player experience because I have to wade through many yayless hours of, of content before I can even start to level up. And someone told Kit that she just doesn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> Sent an email directly to her that she just doesn't get MMOs. So the fact that Kit took a whole week off from work <laughs> to play an MMO is just great. I love this story so much, so yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so how's, how's, like, okay, what is a Guild Wars expansion? Because I, Guild Wars is like the most stealthy MMO I've ever seen. It, it never breaks into the mainstream, <laughs> but it's always there trucking. Like, I swear, if you count Guild Wars 1, I think it's, it definitely predates FF14. Guild Wars 1 definitely predates FF14. I don't know where it is on the WoW timeline. If I'm not mistaken, it was the last one, Isle of the North, was supposedly 2016, like that, roughly. No, no, but when, but when did it first come? When did Guild Wars 1 first come out? I need to look it up because I never played the original Guild Wars. Hang on a moment. And that was April 28, 2005. That is not that far off from WoW. I think WoW was 2003, right? 2004. That is not that far off. So it is lit literally like one of the longest running MMO like IPs at least of all time. And it's just hung up there. <laughs> yeah, the first game servers and expansions are 
or rather campaigns as they called it are still available and it, the three campaigns of Guild Wars 1 together cost cheaper than a modern AAA game without a sale. No, but my, my point is, yeah. is just that like, yeah, so what's going on in Guild, the new Guild Wars expansion? So, I've somehow avoided, like many people have avoided a lot of it. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure basically a lot of people didn't really get to it because it was like like maybe a week after Elden Ring came out so I'm pretty sure everyone was in Elden Ring and I saw some guys said we didn't have maintenance for our expansion we don't have queues like come, calm down we weren't the most popular MMO to begin with but anyway you know, we're finally off to the Asian inspired land it's like a lot of uh, Asian inspired lands I tend to be China or but I suppose, for reasons yeah <laughs> but i would say maybe japan is more common because there are a lot of weeboos out there but yeah, yeah. Uh, kanta i would say is more korean chinese and maybe a little bit of japanese because the land was locked off for i think two centuries at least one century or so so we're finally back there and God, it, it just looks so beautiful even though I wish that would be more overt SEA for, you know, we are here in Malaysia, why, like, why not? Just a little bit of hints here and there. Then they call it End of Dragons, like finally putting the end to the dragon cycle. And I will be the first to admit this story is definitely not going to beat out 14s by a long shot. But because of the direction and how it was presented, it just I just sat there for 10 minutes watching the credits roll by. It was, and then of course I get to play my main again and I love him so much. Yeah, no, because I remember like that's the thing that, that made me want to try Guild Wars. That the, the RP stuff is really, really good. Because you know, you have like, you know, your starting area and all that stuff. As someone who came from RuneScape, you know, that kind of, that level of, uh, MMO-ness is really really cool but yeah no there's no there's no blonde twink that's that's <laughs> chasing you for his run back so yeah that was never gonna that was never gonna be 14 <laughs> <laughs> then uh, then they was, there, all... was there a new a, a new class in this uh... uh the new class was introduced with the first expansion this one was only uh, hey you your current class gets a new spec so yeah Hell yeah, Mechan is engineer, the best uh, class ever. I won't say, uh, I won't hear any argument about it. I don't care if it's not that meta. Engineer, number one. <laughs> uh, and also, like, world versus world, the scrappers are still really good. So yeah, you, you depend on me. But please, not so much because I'm not that good, okay? <laughs> yeah, and I think that is the one thing I noticed about Guild Wars as well is they don't really have the roles that Guild other Wars? MMOs do. Like I played a Sentinel and he had DPS, he had tank, he had support. So you can. It's not like you know if I play a Dragoon in 14, I'm not going to tank. <laughs> I'm comically not going to tank. <laughs> Someone please tank <laughs> or the Dragoon eats it again. I've I've heard good things about this expansion. It's not like 40, I, I feel bad because it sounds like I'm, dunk, I'm dunking on it. I'm sorry, but it, it wasn't, I didn't hear as much good things about it as I heard about 14. Because not that many people played yeah, it to begin with. Because it was never going to. 
you can't be a, a hot cat boy in Guild Wars. You can be a furry. <laughs> yeah, hold my on, my I'm, main my main is a furry engineer. Actually, hold on, I'm, I'm gonna call out my friend real quick. <laughs> <laughs> she's, so she's playing Rune Factory right now, and so one of my friends is a card carrying furry, like legit, like full on fur suit everything. And then you have me who is like you know whatever flies. Um, literally just spent the past two weeks thirsting over Ikem and Wolf. Um, so I just like, oh my god, guys, I think I think I'm a furry. This is what this one character is so hot. Like, oh my god, it, it finally got to me. I'm finally a furry, guys. And we we're like, oh, oh. And then she sends. She's like, hold on, I'm, I'll send. I'll send my other friend a photo. And then it's this long silence. My friend goes. Get that shit out of here. That's a kemono mimi. Uh, kemono mimi. That doesn't. <laughs> and I'm like, what? She goes, it's a boy. It's an anime boy with wolf ears. I'm like, that. <laughs> you get that out of here. <laughs> I I was making a joke because uh, my, I started up nights for Silver Ash, who's kemono mimi and all that. And then I said, okay, this is the sliding scale of cat boy. One end is Silver Ash, the other end is my main. Yeah, exactly. That's a like no, you get that out of here. It's like saying you're a furry for for liking Hollow Life. Like get that, get out of there. Also, yeah, my my character in fourteen is a cat boy. <laughs> of course, you, of course, he was gonna be a cat boy. I don't like playing potato people. I play potato people for fun. It's my oh no, I... it is fun, especially so. Uh, we're way past the spoilers for Endwalker, right? So the final fight in Endwalker, you and Xenos get your run back. Like Xenos gets to fight, and you get the cinematic of you two flying at each other about the punch. If your character is a potato person, <laughs> it is the funniest <laughs> shit ever because Xenos looks like a typical JRPG final boss where he's all gothic and you know he looks divine, and there's this tree. Fun guy <laughs> flying, <laughs> and he's like, "I will kill you." I can't believe this potato has blocked me. All you are, yes, oh, only I get to defeat me. <laughs> <laughs> and it's this tiny potato person who has to look up at every. <laughs> it's great. I love it. The warrior of light is barely taller than a bar stool. Doesn't one of the antagonists also like bend down to you? Well, I think they all do with your eyes. I haven't played for it. Again, I don't play potato person, but yeah, I don't ever keep sending me screenshots of your potato people doing stupid things. I love it. Uh, one last thing for for this episode, because I, I do want to get it on the record. Uh, Stranger of Paradise is good. <laughs> I've been playing that game. That game is good. First of all, it is not a Souls like. It is closer to Monster Hunter than a Souls game. Like it obviously has, because it's you know by the Neo people. I assume it plays a lot like Neo. But the parts parts of my brain activating playing it are the monster hunter parts of my brain where it is you want to fight the bosses over and over again because you want to farm the materials you want. I hate that, by the way. I hate the randomized loot <laughs> system. The job system is really cool. Even though jobs have tiers, it is not indicative of their quality. It is indicative of how many options they have. So the expert job classes, which are like breaker, sage. Sam, no, not samurai. Tyrant and Bajazu. So they all have in their skill trees will unlock attacks for different weapons because each class can use a bunch of different weapons. Whereas dragoon, like even though dragoon can use a bunch of different weapons, all the skills you unlock will be for for lance and etc. And yeah, and the amount of customization, the move customization that game is insane. <laughs> so you can do you have two attack buttons, R one, R two, the light and Essentially, it's a, it's essentially light and heavy, and so depending on how many lights you hit, 
your heavy button can can do a different skill. You can program it to do a different skill. Ooh. And diff- and certain skills are locked to certain ones. Like the most common one is three light one heavy. So three light one heavy and then some skills can only be put into that slot. And on top of that, there is also back on the left stick light and then heavy. What does this sound starting to sound like a fighting game? No, this is monster. This is literally just monster hunter movesets. And but you can program what the skill is. It's so insane. And so, like for example, I don't like using samurai because Ronin is <laughs> Ronin has the EI slash, which is the where you hold the the sheath like that, and the longer you charge, the more damage it'll do when it comes out. And uh, katanas have this. And oh yeah, and then on top of that, each weapon has its own gimmick that you have to. <laughs> oh dear God. <laughs> so like spears, I think spears can be thrown. I haven't been doing that. I totally. I only just remember that you can throw spears. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think actually no. I think that's a lancer thing. Maybe that's a lancer thing. I don't know. But yeah, so spears. They have the jab. They can do a swing. They can do a charge swing. Greatsword literally has the monster hunter greatsword charge to tackle katanas. You can hold R one and they will do what's called session stance, and then you can chain heavy attacks into each other. And while in session stance, you'll you also do bonus damage. So what I set it to do is that in ah oh yeah, and then you can program that as well. Like in session stance, what does R two do? And you can program what it does. Like yeah, that game's insane. <laughs> and on top of all that, the story is actually really good. <laughs> it is executed terribly, but it is a really good story. I'm going to assume that no one cares about spoilers for this game because I want to tell you about the ending of this so bad. You you're okay with that, right? Yeah, I'm okay. Okay, so how familiar I, uh, are you with the plot of Final Fantasy 1? Jack Garland, question mark? No, okay, so the plot of Final Fantasy 1 is there is the evil knight Garland. Mm-hmm. And you have to go defeat him. And there are four crystals, and each crystal is guarded by an elemental fiend. Okay. It tells you that the fiends were created by Jack Garland. Uh, by, created by Garland. Okay. Using his hate and chaos. And then when you, when you kill him, you have to... It's like a time loop, like you have to go back in time. So basically, before he dies, the fiends in the past will pull him through time back. So it's like a time, it's like a time loop thing. So in Stranger of Paradise, I feel you like okay. So you knew from the beginning that he was gonna be Garland. Mm-hmm. Like game does a piss poor job of hiding <laughs> that. Uh, the demo they literally talk about how you because the the boss in the first demo was a dude who looks exactly like Garland, and everyone commenting how he fights just like Jack. That's, they removed all that from the final game, by the way. That encounter goes differently like, in that game. But the trailers literally describe, uh, call him Jack Garland. <laughs> so the question is just how does he get there? And the assumption is because there are five warriors of light in Strangers of Paradise, as compared to the four in Final Fantasy 1. So the theory you think is Jack betrays everyone, and then everyone else becomes the four warriors of light in Final Fantasy 1. And it's not the case. Instead, what there is, is there is another race of people called the Lufenians, who are like gods basically and they can reset the world whenever they want and so the world is like a science experiment and they just they send they put darkness into the world so when there's too much light they put in darkness darkness creates monsters and then and then when the monsters start to overrun the world they send what are called strangers who are people from their world that go down into there and then they fight they fight off the darkness and then they go back and then they wipe their memories every single time they do this. So that is why it's called Stranger of Paradise. It's because 
Jack and the other four are all strangers who have been sent. And the thing is, they created Astal, who's also from FF1, and he is supposed to be like the helper for them. But he doesn't get to go back. He stays in the world and never gets his memory wiped. So from Astal's perspective, he meets his friends, the same friends over and over again, and they they disappear and then they come back and they don't remember him. And you know, this world just keeps getting destroyed over and over again and reset and whatever. So they concoct a plan to betray the Lufenians. So they want Lufenians to stop messing with Cornelia. And so there's light and there's dark and there's chaos. <laughs> and chaos is what happens when negative emotions meets darkness. And strangers have a bad habit of falling to chaos. Because you know they deal with the darkness and then they get they get super angry and they'll get corrupted. And so the four fiends you meet are implied to be previous strangers who have all been corrupted by chaos. So Astel talks about how this, you know you've been trying in previous runs, your characters have been trying to find a way to overthrow the Lufenians, but it just never happens because at the end of the day they go back and their memories get wiped. And I don't remember the specifics because it's been a while and I've been playing a lot of Elden Ring since. <laughs> but so finally, like all the character all your characters start acting weird once they once they every time you defeat a fiend, a different one absorbs the darkness that comes out of that fiend and starts acting weird. And then at the very end, your party turns around and attacks you. And they Whoa. and they, they they start going, kill us Jack, come on, do it. And Jack is so distraught by the fact that he's being forced to kill his friends. Guess what happens when his negative emotion meets that darkness? Uh He becomes chaos. So he absorbs all their souls and all the darkness and becomes chaos. And now he has the power to go back to Lufenia and destroy it. So he goes to Lufenia and then you fight. uh, You fight Lufenia and his friends are like, uh, are like you know you, you can't destroy Lufenia proper like we've literally put you in a quarantine zone so you kill the boss of that quarantine zone and then you head back and you're like you know I'm, I'm, I'll protect like Cornelia from, from all uh, from all this and so you go back and your friends still their soul is still there essentially I may be getting some details money up but they are still there and they go yeah so we sent you not to present-day Cornelia, we sent you all the way back. Do it at the start. And then, so Jack is like sitting there, and he's he's like, you know, he's, he's regular Jack. And he talks to them, and they appear, they're like normal, normal people. And then the camera cuts, and they're all the fiends. So you are playing the story of the fiends and Garland. And what they told you in FF1 is true. His negative emotions mix with the darkness to create the fiends. And I just like something like because they have the power of chaos, they gain the power to travel through time, which is how the time loop in FF1 starts. <laughs> and the very start of the game is you see Garland. The very first cutscene in the game is Garland breaks into the palace and and kidnaps the princess, and they show like uh, Jack's relationship with the princess. Like there's a part where he talks to her and he jokingly says like, "Haha, if I became chaos, the first thing I would do is I would break into the palace and run away with you." And then they play the cutscene again of him doing exactly that, and he's fully in the Garland armor, and it's the coolest thing ever. So yeah, that is a good ending. Like, I didn't explain it the best, but it's one of those endings where you're like, oh no, this entire journey makes sense now. You can just imagine my face. 
it's really really good like it makes so much it, it like it makes sense in the way that like oh that's how that story was going to go and yeah so i really really like it for that so yeah uh so yeah i do think like you know a lot i think a lot of outlets gave this game an unfair shake like it has a bit of jank to it fine i will concede <laughs> it is hideous as sin I'll concede that as well, but it is a mechanically good Final Fantasy game, like, and a really, really good action RPG. Top of that, and also all the all the zones that you go to are all references to other Final Fantasy games. Like, whenever you enter a new zone, it tells you it was based off of dimension, what, and then a Roman numeral. That is the Final Fantasy game it comes from. So, uh, one of the early maps is from Dimension 13, and the music is from FF 13, and. It's, and it's really cool, you know, they even featured the lesser-known Final Fantasies. The Kraken boss fight takes place in Final Fantasy VII. It's so cool that they, they pay tribute to the lesser-known Final Fantasies, especially in this, like, super, you know, not the most popular Seven area, Marco Reactor. <laughs> it's like, that's such a deep pool, you know? <laughs> so yeah, they, they really, they, it is a good love letter to Final Fantasy. And also, Jack is such a psycho, and I love it so much. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure you've seen the clip by now where Lich is like trying to explain his backstory, and Jack literally flies up <laughs> and punches him in the face before he can even finish his sentence. All the the language in all the FF games have been kept PG-13 just so that Jack can unleash Jack, his full force. The true black mage can cast the <laughs> F-bomb. <laughs> so yeah. It's really good, and Sophia is the best character. <laughs> like, at first we were all like, Oh, Neon, you know, she's cute, she's got the sailor dress, and she's got that kind of weird personality where she acts older than she looks. And then Sophia comes in and she's just like, Ara, Ara, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and then, because each, uh, each of your party members can have like three different jobs. She's a dragoon, so of course... Plus one already. Plus one, so Sophia is the best character in the game. It's my point. Anyways, that's pretty much it for us. I highly recommend trying out. There, there were so many good games that came out. We, have, we didn't even talk about Triangle Strategy. Kirby just came out last weekend. What, are, what else? What else? Tiny Tina's Wonderland uh, launched. And it's a Fortnite game. Haha, hey. <laughs> <laughs> funny gun poop. Gun poop fart. Fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> there. That's WWE Persona Ultimax. Wish it had a rollback. Uh, <laughs> soon. Soon. So yeah, I don't lots and lots of good games and that's why we have a long episode because we just wanted to talk about them and because Elden Ring just warrants that much talking about <laughs> also please since Guild Wars 2 the base game is free the not as critically acclaimed MMORPG but you can try the whole entire uh, base game up to the level cap do whatever and the first ever like live update of sorts is finally coming back for free also to all upcoming accounts and also the last the last thing I wanted to inject, interject because I was just joking about are you really playing an MMO if you don't love your PC character and then my friend was like oh that's why WoW people are so miserable <laughs> do people not love, people love their WoW characters like they for Battle for Azeroth they 3D printed a bunch of people's WoW characters and put it in the battlefield and people people came over that <laughs> Which is really cool. I, I will admit it. It's a really nice magic feature, but it's one of those things. It's the curse. As well, if you don't play an MMO, seeing people gush about their MMO will always be cringe. I saw people like reportedly in tears over the start of Destiny 2. It was like, oh my god, it's such a beautiful. Shut up. <laughs> 
That being said, if, I bet if I played Destiny from from launch and then Destiny came, I probably would be like, that's so beautiful. <laughs> I don't know, but I guess I suppose it's lately from what I got from the story is that your player character isn't really there, so it's like just MMO, no RP. No, yeah, he's anymore. he's just the he's just the quiet dude next to Thrall when he does the cool thing. Like you read the wiki, it is so funny because it is like clearly like for example, uh, yeah, I say Thrall story. Thrall and a group of adventurers. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, no. WoW is... We'll get to WoW one day. We, we, we will unpack the, the laughable tragedy <laughs> that is WoW. Anyways, this has been our episode of the Brave, Brave Room. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, as always, remember we are back the third Thursday of every month. Unless another shenanigan happens. <laughs> but you know, then we'll, then we'll get into the Pacific Rim stuff. Thank you so much for listening and uh, take care guys.